Ostiam viventem santam Deo placentem, ratiunabile obsequium vestum. A living victim, holy, pleasing to God, your reasonable worship. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The poet says, in my end is my beginning, and the mystery of the epiphany is, in many ways, can be seen as both an end and a beginning. Of course, Epiphany, along with the nativity that precedes it, is uh, evidently, most obviously, the beginning of the liturgical cycle. The Missal begins with Advent, which leads us to Christmas and the Epiphany. And historically, it's the first appearing of our Lord upon Earth. And so in that sense, it is, of course, the beginning. In another way, we can see the celebration of the Epiphany as the end, the culmination. If we think of the liturgical cycle in some way, resetting and beginning anew with Septuagesima when the Alleluia is laid aside. In a certain way, we can see the recurrence of the Nativity, the recurrence of the Epiphany as a final coda to what's been celebrated throughout the year. In any case, the celebration of the Epiphany certainly points us not only to the past, to our Lord's first appearing, but it points us to his great Epiphany when he appears in glory when all of the nations, along with the Magi, will acknowledge him as Lord. Whether we view the Epiphany as the end or as the beginning, the word that emerges from the Feast of the Epiphany and which emerges in each of the Masses of the Sundays after the Epiphany is Adorare. Venimus cum muneribus adorare dominum, we've been singing over and over throughout the octave. And today, the same word is given to us in the introit. I saw a man, Beatus Vir, I saw a man seated on a lofty throne, a man seated upon the throne of God himself, a man whom the multitude of angels adore. The Mass today presents us with the angelic adoration of the one whom the Magi have been adoring. And in the Masses to come, we will continue to hear the call to adore. The Epiphany begins and culminates the celebration of our Lord's mysteries in adoration. But how do we adore? That's what the Mass tells us today. The Magi show us that to adore, we must come with gifts, cum muneribus. The highest expression of adoration is sacrifice, the offering of what is most precious in sacrifice to God. So the Magi come with the precious gifts which we reflect on throughout this octave in the responsories and the antiphons and the lessons that unpack the meaning of those gifts. But St. Paul today makes it concrete for us what are the munera that we are to offer? I beseech you by the mercy of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing unto God. We're often reminded that we are to offer to the Lord our heart, and certainly we are. But St. Paul implies here that as embodied creatures, the service of our heart also involves the service of our body. 
we heard a few days ago at the end of the prologue, towards the end of the prologue, our Father St. Benedict saying, Therefore our hearts and our bodies must be prepared to fight under the holy obedience of his commands. To offer our, our hearts to our Lord, we must also offer our bodies, which are animated by our hearts. The worship of our heart is expressed in the worship of our body. And so, an essential part of our reasonable worship, our worship in accord with the Logos, is the corporalia, the bodily expressions of our service of God. And even if we can't offer the same corporalia, the same bodily works that others might, if we're impeded by them, from them by other duties, if we're kept from them by infirmity, then even in our infirmities, especially in our infirmities, our bodies are still offered as a living sacrifice to God. But this living sacrifice of our bodies has, of course, to be animated by the proper inward attitude, and St. Paul goes on to explain that attitude. Not being conformed to this world, being reformed in the newness of your mind, how many times might one think, if I were in the world, this is what I would have said in this situation. St. Paul tells us not to be conformed to this world, but to be reformed in the newness of your mind. To take on a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing, in order to discern the perfect will of God. And he goes on to say, Non plus sapere quamo portet sapere. Monsignor Knox gives this as not to think highly of himself beyond his just estimation, but literally it's a bit more striking than that. Not to be more wise than one ought to be wise. One would think that there should be no limit to the wisdom that one ought to have, but St. Paul seems to suggest that even in the desire for wisdom, we can exceed the due measure if we seek the wisdom of this world rather than the wisdom that comes from above. Rather, to be wise unto sobriety as God has divided into everyone the measure of faith. For as in one body we have many members, but not all the members have the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ. To offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, then, we must live as members of the body of Christ. And St. Paul will go on throughout the remainder of the 12th chapter of the letter to the Romans to talk about what that looks like. All, of the, all that St. Benedict tells us in chapter 63 on the order of the community, chapter 72 on good zeal, is in some way a, an unpacking of the picture of life in the Christian community that St. Paul gives to us in Romans 12. And all of those exhortations that he gives have this in mind, to enable us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. So that living as members of Christ's body, in humility, in charity, each fulfilling the part that is given to us, we are thereby fitted into the mystical body and made one with our Lord's perfect sacrifice. The perfect offering of adoration. We are not only are given instruction in today's Mass about how to adore, how to present worthy gifts to God, 
We're given an example, the example of our Lord himself in the temple at the age of 12. Our Lord is found in the temple, and when asked by his mother, he speaks. The first words that he speaks in the gospel. And what are these first words that our Lord utters, first recorded words? How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be in isque patris mei sunt, in these things which are of my Father? This first recorded utterance of our Lord sums up his entire life. The Hebrews tells us that on coming into the world, the Son said, Sacrifice and oblation thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Behold, I come to do thy will. This desire to do the Father's will, to make of his body and his will a living sacrifice to his Father, is what animates the Son all throughout his life. And it's what is behind these first words of his, the desire to give himself over to his Father, to be in the things that are of his Father. And then, having said this, then he proceeds to demonstrate for us, by his action, the way in which he makes of himself a living sacrifice. Because even after this apparent rebuke to his mother, he descended with them and came to Nazareth, and he was subject to them. St. Paul just told us not to be wise beyond what it behooveth to be wise. Our Lord, after displaying his divine wisdom in the temple, proceeds to humble himself and make himself obedient to human parents, showing us what it is not to seek wisdom, not to seek to display wisdom beyond what God asks us to do in the place in which he has put us. He was subject to them, and in being subject to them, he subjected himself to his Father. We see our Lord in this Gospel, obedient to his Heavenly Father, being in the things that are of his Father, and obedient to his earthly parents who represent his Father's authority. And in doing so, he shows us what it is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, what it is to present true adoration. But our Lord does one better than that. He not only gives us teaching in the words of St. Paul, he not only gives us his example, but he gives us himself to make possible what for our nature is impossible. The humility, the obedience, the subjection to others which does not come naturally to fallen man we are given the grace to do so as we receive him in the sacrament of his love where he makes himself still obedient to men, where he presents himself humble and silent, where he unites himself with us. In so doing, he allows us in very truth to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, made one with him in the mystery of his body and blood he takes us up into his sacrifice to the Father. And in so doing, he allows us to become adorers in spirit and in truth, to give to him the adoration 
which he deserves, to give with him to the Father the adoration which is his due. Let us ask him to take us today up into his own perfect act of adoration, his obedience, his humility, all that, all that made his life in this world a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, so that we too can become victims pleasing to him. In the name of the Father.